Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The morning fog hung low over the tall pines as I watched my crew start their day. We were loggers, Native Americans by blood, but it had been generations since any of us had truly embraced the old ways. We were men of progress. Our lives echoed with the hum of chainsaws and the crash of timber. That day, our sights were set on an ancient tree, a behemoth rooted firmly in the heart of the forest. Its gnarled trunk bore the marks of age and weather, and on it a totem, its figures carved long ago by hands guided by spirits we no longer acknowledged. As my axe bit into the wood, a strange feeling swept over me. An uncanny chill ran down my spine. The hairs on my arms stood on end, but I shrugged it off, attributing it to the biting morning wind. Then, with a shuddering groan, the tree began to fall, and the totem shattered against the forest floor, releasing an unearthly howl that echoed through the whispering pines. That night, we heard it. A low growl, swirling with the wind, freezing our blood. A dark shape 
moved through the trees faster than any creature ought to, and then the screams began. One by one, my crew, my friends, my brothers were hunted down. Their bodies, when we found them, were mangled beyond recognition, the forest floor stained with their blood. We were not loggers anymore. We had become the prey. Survivors were few, and fear knotted our bellies. We turned to the tribe, to the elders we'd ignored for so long, our modern lives making us blind to the wisdom they guarded. The elders spoke of the Talam, a skinwalker, a beast of our ancestors' nightmares. It had been trapped in the totem we destroyed. The path to survival, they said, was to return the Talam to its prison. But the knowledge of how to do so had been lost to time. Our only hope lay in the ancient stories, the cryptic tales passed down through generations. We had to become more than loggers. We had to become hunters, trackers, keepers of forgotten lore. We had to become the men our ancestors were. Through the long nights we learned the old ways, unraveling the mystery of the Talam. All the while the beast continued its hunt, its growls a constant reminder of the danger lurking in the shadows. The day we discovered how to trap the Talam again, only three of us remained. We built a new totem, carving it with trembling hands whispering the sacred words we'd learned. The beast came for us that night, its growls echoing through the pines. I can still hear the crunch of snow under its massive paws, the wind whistling through its ragged fur. But we were ready. The fight was terrifying, a dance with death. The talon was quick and strong, its eyes burning with an ancient rage. But we held our ground, our hearts beating with the courage of our ancestors. And with a final chant and an offering of our blood, we bound the beast once more. The silence that followed was deafening. We had done it. We had taken up the mantle of our ancestors, saved our tribe, and trapped the Talam again. But the victory was bittersweet. The cost too great. Now, as I stand before the new totem, the wind whispering through the pines sounds less like a growl and more like a sigh. A reminder of the price of forgetting our past. My memories of that winter on the west coast of Canada are as crisp as the snow we were playing in. My boyfriend, my sister, and her boyfriend and I, we had been frolicking in the rare snowfall our laughter echoing in the chilly air. Then my sister froze, her eyes wide as she pointed to a tree. She claimed she saw a large, black, wingless creature lurking behind the branches. We dismissed her fear, assuring her it was probably just a bird. But she was not convinced. Months later, on a seemingly ordinary Saturday, we were gathered in the master bedroom of our house. The French doors leading to the backyard were open, letting in the cool, crisp air. My boyfriend, peering out into the yard, let out a surprised gasp as he spotted a massive bird breaking free from a branch of a tree near the dam. Look at the size of that eagle, he exclaimed. But something was off. This creature was bigger than any eagle we had seen, its wingspan easily fourteen feet. As it soared off, a chill ran down my spine. This creature, it looked like a human with wings. The sight of it brought back my sister's terrified expression from that winter night. The wingless creature she had seen 
Could it be the same? The realization sent shivers down my spine. Around this time, I recalled something else. Something about our recently deceased dog, Rex. He had a peculiar habit. Rex would growl and pace in the backyard, especially during the nights. He was never bothered by the common animals like deer or raccoons, but his behavior indicated that something else was out there. Could these strange occurrences be connected? That's when I decided to seek help from Juno, a respected Native American elder from our community. A wise, elderly woman with deep, understanding eyes, Juno had lived among us for as long as I could remember. She was known for her vast knowledge of local lore and legend. I narrated our experiences to her, the fear palpable in my voice. Juno listened, her wise eyes never leaving my face. When I finished, she was silent for a moment. Then she began to speak in her soft, melodic voice. Legends speak of a creature, she said, a spirit that can take the form of a giant bird. It's known as the Thunderbird, a being of power and strength. It's not usually visible to the human eye unless it chooses to reveal itself. Her words sent a new wave of chills down my spine. But strangely, I also felt a sense of awe. Whether we had encountered a legendary spirit or not, our lives were now woven into a tale that would be remembered for generations. I stayed after school one late December afternoon, 2022, two months ago, in the Roanoke, Virginia area for a basketball game. After the game, I walked to the nearby church lot waiting for my dad. It was already dark. As I stood waiting, I felt like someone or something was watching me. I turned around and saw the shadow of a man behind a bush. I instantly ran to the other side of the street. I caught my breath and slowly walked back to the other side of the church. I would be able to see my dad drive up. As I stood there, keeping an eye out for my dad and for other shadows, I saw two deer along the edge of the woods. I put some space between me and the deer. I watched the deer as they began to move around. I watched closely as one of the deer seemed to have a bad back leg or was injured. I began to walk in the direction of the deer in order to get a better look. When I came within twenty feet or so of the deer, I stopped. I was literally frozen and terrified at the same time. I realized that these were not deer. They both had oddly shaped heads with patches of hair that seemed to be stitched onto their bodies. It actually looked like human skin was underneath the patches. Then both deer looked in my direction and slowly stood up on their back legs. They then started to run in my direction, chasing me back to the church lot. I was yelling and running at the same time so loud that my dad heard me a block away. I ran towards my home neighborhood, but my dad happened to see me and caught up. As he stopped ahead of me, I jumped into the passenger seat, yelling, Go! Go! He asked me, What the hell was I yelling and running for? I couldn't answer him. I was absolutely freaked out. The ten-minute drive home was surreal as I was thinking about what I'd experienced and what I was going to tell my dad. When we got home, and after I calmed down a bit, my mom and dad sat at the dining room table with me and listened to my description of the encounter. They actually listened. They knew by my demeanor that something had really occurred. Later that night, while I was in my room watching television, my dad came into my room and wanted to talk. 
He told me about an encounter that he had several years previously with a deer while he and my uncle were hunting in the nearby mountains. His description was very much like mine. He had told my mom about it at the time, so now I know why they didn't question my sanity when we talked. Can you tell me what I encountered that day? I see references to Wendigos and not deer when I started to research on Google. Is that what I witnessed? Is that what my dad witnessed? As a park ranger, I had seen my fair share of strange things. But nothing could have prepared me for what I was about to discover in the woods. It started with a rash of disappearances. Hikers, campers, and even some locals had gone missing without a trace. We had combed the woods for weeks, but we couldn't find any evidence of foul play. It was as if they had simply vanished into thin air. That's when the local police got involved. They brought in their own team of investigators, and we joined forces to try and solve the mystery. But as we delved deeper into the case, we started to realize that we were dealing with something far beyond our understanding. We began to hear whispers of a shape-shifting creature, one that was highly intelligent and had been stalking the woods for generations. Some of the locals claimed to have seen it, describing it as a sleek black mass that could transform into any shape it desired. At first, we dismissed these claims as mere superstition. But as the disappearances continued, we knew that we had to take them seriously. We armed ourselves with trank guns and set out into the woods, determined to catch the creature and put an end to the disappearances once and for all. It didn't take long for us to find it. We were deep in the woods when we saw it, a sleek black mass that slithered through the trees like a snake. It was fast, too fast for us to catch, and it seemed to know every inch of the forest. We pursued it for hours, but it always managed to stay one step ahead of us. We were exhausted and running out of options when we received a call from government officials. They told us to stand down, that the creature was classified, and that they would take care of it. We were stunned. We had never heard of anything like this before, and we had no idea who these officials were or what their intentions were. But we had no choice but to obey. We retreated back to the ranger station, frustrated and defeated. We tried to get answers, but no one would tell us anything. It was as if the whole thing had never happened. In the months that followed, the disappearances stopped. We never heard anything about the shape-shifting creature again. But I couldn't shake the feeling that we had been kept in the dark, that there was something bigger going on behind the scenes. To this day, I still think about that creature and what it could have been. Was it an alien? A government experiment gone wrong? Or something else entirely? I may never know the truth, but one thing is for certain. The woods are not as safe as we once thought, and there are things out there that we may never be able to explain or understand. My infant daughter and I had driven up north from Kamloops, British Columbia for the day to visit my mother. We had gone out to dinner and my baby girl fell asleep in the middle. We put her in the carrier and covered her with a new pink blanket. When dinner was over, we said our goodbyes. Away we went. It was about 10 p.m. by the time we got on the road and we had a good two-hour drive ahead. 
I was glad that the next day was a Sunday and I would be able to catch up on some sleep. I played music quietly to keep me alert, and it worked for the first hour and a half of my drive, but at about 11.30 p.m. something else happened that made me more alert than I've ever been in my entire life. It was very dark, and the lights along this rural road were spaced out pretty far, so my headlights were the only lights I could rely on. But as I turned along a slow curve, I saw something ahead. On the right side of the road was a creek, and in order to make sure there were no incidents with people driving into the gully, a guardrail was in place. It had cement blocks attached every so often that held the lights in place. As my high beam stretched brightly into the darkness, I saw something on the cement block up ahead. I squinted to make out the dark silhouette. Just then the figure leaped from the cement block and flew through the air. It landed solidly on the road, directly in my path. I watched as it slowly began to stand up tall and raise its arms over its head. I saw the muscular thing stretch until it had shown its full height. About two and a half meters tall, its furry arms were wide. They waved wildly in the air, and as I approached my car I could see its muscular build. At first, when it was still on the side of the road, I thought it was a black bear trying to hunt since deer are prevalent in this area. But as it stood there, I could see the human-like qualities of its limbs and face. It looked like a giant. A very hairy, ugly, naked man. Then it did something completely unexpected. It crouched down, and I thought it was going to jump back into the forest that surrounded us. But instead, it laid down, stretching its full body across the lane. It was too late for me to stop or swerve. I hit him, or whatever it was. I hit it with my Honda Accord. I had expected there to be a huge crunching sound, and my thoughts immediately went to my sleeping baby. Would we get hurt? Would our car be drivable? I didn't want us to be stranded. But to my surprise, we rolled over it pretty easily. There was a thumping sensation, and I knew that the position of my car had made me run over its head. I felt sick thinking I could have killed someone or some poor creature. But the image of it standing in the road made me uneasy enough to assault my guilt. I stopped the car for a moment. When we had gone about 100 meters or so, I looked in my rearview mirror to see it laying there still, illuminated by my brake lights. It wasn't moving. Panic, fear, and concern flooded me in a mix of waves of emotion. I thought about getting out of the car, but I worried that maybe it was still alive and angry. I couldn't risk getting hurt, not with my baby in the car. That's when I made the decision that still haunts me. I floored the accelerator, and I didn't stop until I got home. When we finally pulled into my driveway, I felt safe. I immediately grabbed the carrier with my baby, and I went inside. After putting her into her crib, I paced the house. The rest of my family was out of town and unreachable by phone. I had no idea what to do. After worrying and pacing, I finally decided to call the provincial police. I knew that no one would take my call seriously if I said it was a Sasquatch. After the call, I went out to check the damage to the car. I feared the worst. I really thought that I would have to explain the unexplainable to the mechanic. But the damage was minimal. Only the license plate was bent, and on one of the bolts, I had found hairs from the creature. I thought about keeping it, but 
reasoned that it was crazy and threw it out. No one would believe me. I called the police the next day to check and found that there was no record of my call and nothing suspicious was reported along any of the country roads. When my family returned, I told them the story. Of course, they thought I was making it up. After a while, I stopped talking about it. My family still makes fun of me, but I've learned not to respond. But I know what really happened that night. And I know it's still out there. About four years ago, my family and I were at Cook's Forest Park in northern Pennsylvania. It's a smaller park west of the much larger Allegheny National Forest. Small, very clean, been going there since I can remember every summer. My father has gone there once a year since he was young, and my grandfather and so on. Never has my family ever told me a spooky story of the forest. I never felt afraid or even spooked even in the dead of night. There was wildlife such as coyotes and bears to beware of, but I was never scared of them. Then one day, while we were up there for our week trip, my father, younger sister, and I went hiking down river trail. Hence its name, it's a very long trail that follows the Clarion River. The kicker is that the only access to the trail is a massive downhill, which means it's a climb back up. We were down there, fishing along the bank, when we heard thunder rolling in, but without warning a solid downpour. So we packed up, already soaked, and made our way up the massive hill. Now here is the weird part, while we making our way up the hill to our right. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. It was this massive fire, but not like a tree on fire, just like a solid flame about six feet high, just burning. We all stopped dead in our tracks. It just didn't make sense in the pouring rain to have this huge flame burning on what seemed like nothing. It just made the back of my neck's hair stand on end. Fire is such a human act in my mind, and here we are in the middle of the woods alone in a downpour with this huge unnatural flame burning. So we did what anyone would do and made tracks up the hill to our truck. To this day, I have no idea how that happened. My only theory is that there are several natural gas lines that go through the park, so maybe a type of leak ignited. It's anyone's guess, but definitely weird. I've always had a deep connection to nature that only grew through the years. During my last two years of high school, most of my friends moved out of state, so I started spending more and more time with the trees and less time with other people. Even to the point that, after spending a semester in a hot, crowded dorm, I decided college wasn't for me and dropped out. 
My parents were happy enough to see me, but I could still feel their discomfort with my educational decisions. I don't blame them. It just felt wrong as hardly the most well-thought-out or valid of arguments. But it was all I had to offer them at the time. I knew it wasn't enough, so I left. I quickly packed my bags, threw them in my car, and headed north with no particular destination in mind. After several hours on the road, the highway I was on narrowed and turned to dirt, while the trees standing silent sentinel along its meandering path got taller and darker. I drove slowly with the windows down, both to take in the incredible sights and to avoid careening off this dirt track clinging so desperately to the mountain. Once I rolled down my windows, I turned off my music. It felt out of place in the peaceful environment. My eyelids were getting heavier the sun having long disappeared beneath the horizon, so I pulled off onto a little patch of dirt on the side of the road. I started getting ready to sleep, but when I looked out into the trees, I once again felt their call, so I left. Walking from the car, the silence was so potent it sucked the air from my lungs. This silence was ancient and sacred. I felt breaking it with any significant noise would be a great sin against the forces of nature. A gust of wind noiselessly made its way through the trees, stirring the lowest branches and tossing my hair and my face. On the wings of the silent wind, I heard a sound so soft and natural that could perhaps only be heard because of the unnatural absence of background noise. It drew my attention to one particular tree a couple hundred feet from the road. All the trees were dancing to the silent rhythm of the wind. All except one. This one danced offbeat and irregularly to no particular rhythm. It seemed as if each branch had a mind of its own. Every bough twisted and writhed like an unfortunate worm on a fisherman's hook, the wood bending impossibly. The noise then seemed to form words in a language so old it had not been uttered for centuries at least. Yet I understood. They told me they lived in the silent spaces of the world where their words could be heard. Once the world was full of silent spaces, spaces where animals and men alike instinctively knew no noise above a whisper was permitted, but humans had lost touch with their instincts. Only some being able to feel the unspoken rules that govern all. I fell to my knees in silent reverence for the gods that once were and will be again. They have a plan, they said. We will return the world to how it once was, when the gods reigned and silence owned large swaths of land. The hum of a motor, accompanied by the sound of tires tearing up moist dirt, ripped me from my state of pleasant reverence. I inhaled sharply and looked up to notice the first faint glow that changes the sky from black to dark blue before dawn warms the air and brings the sun. I returned to the road to get a glimpse of our invader, but when he saw me, he quickly pulled over and got out of his car. Hey, man, are you all right? He called while approaching. His voice cut through the air, shocking me into stunned silence for a second. Yeah, I'm fine, I whispered, my voice seeming no less strange in the environment. My car is over there. Just keep driving. Dude, you're covered in dirt. Your knees are clearly bleeding and you're shivering violently. I can't just leave you here. I'll call for help. I knew I couldn't let him call for help, lest more people invade our sanctuary, our church. 
All right, I'll go with you, but can I please show you something first? He was clearly skeptical, but given that he seemed to have a good 100 pounds on me, he probably thought I wasn't much of a threat, and so he nodded his head and followed where I beckoned. He so clearly wanted to help and seemed like a good guy, so I thought I would induct him into my newfound religion and have him help with the mission assigned by them. When we finally reached the tree, I grabbed him by the shoulder and pointed, hoping he would grasp all that I did. He shot me a puzzled look, so in a whisper as quiet as I could manage, I said this is our connection to the gods. All right, I'm getting you help, he cried in a voice far too loud to be tolerated. I knew immediately that this transgression would need to be punished. He quickly turned towards the road and made to return in his haste, stepping on leaves and branches, increasing his sins and sealing his fate. Given his determination to get back, he didn't hear me pick up the branch or close the gap between us. He gave a soft grunt when the wood connected with the base of his skull and fell silent at last, ceasing his transgressions. I dragged the body of the offender back to the base to the base of the tree. It just felt right, and once his skin touched the bark, the tree reacted. Almost instantly, roots broke the damp soil and coiled around what was once a human being. Pencil, thin roots carved into his body by the hundreds, tunneling in and out and back in again, giving his flesh the appearance of a very wormy apple or wood afflicted by termites. Within minutes, the fresh corpse was desecrated and nearly mummified, bringing a smile to my lips as I felt my connection to the gods increase. The voices started back up with renewed vigor, and my mission was made clear to me. The next one needs to be alive. I live in Evanston, Illinois, just north of Chicago. I was asked by my mother's friend to move some stuff to a storage unit nearby. I had not been working because of pandemic, and the pay was decent, so I went ahead and agreed. It was raining all day off and on, but at times it got so heavy that I couldn't transfer boxes from my car to the unit. So I just get comfortable inside the unit and listen to some music while I wait for the rain to clear up. It's cozy in there, to be honest, and the rain just keeps getting worse. It's not very cold out, though. I'm just chilling when I start hearing this banging noise from nearby. It sounds like something hitting metal at first. I think that maybe there was a car accident on the nearby highway, North Lincoln Ave Highway 41. But then I realized it was coming from the other direction, and I really don't want to go outside and get wet. I tell myself that someone probably dropped something, like nothing serious but I continue hearing various banging noises. I still didn't bother checking, but as it continues I decide to check it out since the rain had let up a bit. I walk outside and turn the corner and see this massive hole in the fence leading to a little wooded area at the North Shore Channel Trail. I see this white thing moving near and under the dumpster by the fence. I'm thinking that it was a large white garbage trash bag, but it just doesn't look right. I'm confused, and I'm trying to get, like, a closer look at the thing. I may be about 100 feet or so away from it, and I see something sticking out of it, and it's making a clicking sound. I say hello. Who's that? I immediately regret yelling this out. Something big squeezes out from underneath the dumpster. It looks like a pile of fleshy tissue with spike. Like protrusions. It stands four feet tall, 
but then it extends up to over six feet. It looks like a humanoid spider or other insect, but with white flesh. It doesn't have an exoskeleton, just smooth white flesh. The head is weird, kind of insect, like with no mouth that I could see. The eyes were human, like and had a reddish glow. It had long slits along the side of its head. It stood there clicking and watching me. I could sense that it didn't want me there. I was wondering why I was still there and hadn't run off. But I was frozen in place and terrified. I heard about the Chicago Mothman and was wondering if this may have been it. But it didn't resemble anything that I had ever heard about. Then I felt a sudden rush of calm come over me and I was able to break the trance I was in. I hauled ass back to the storage unit, locked it up, got into my car and quickly left. When I looked back in the direction of the creature, it was gone. I returned the next day and finished unloading the boxes from the car as fast as I could. This happened in the spring of 2020. I haven't told anyone about this. That sound brought one of my brothers into the house to alert the rest of the family to come hear this. They went outside and stood in the driveway and heard the most frightening guttural roar you can imagine. This accompanied the pounding on the wood object. This lasted several minutes. The evening was clear, warm, and without wind. I do not remember a moon. Neither brother could explain what was happening, and I recall being scared out of my wits. When the sound subsided, the family returned inside. The incident was not discussed in front of me again. As a child, I was privileged to live in this remote, beautiful area and be allowed to run free. Sometime later, a boyfriend and I observed what we were told must have been a bear in a thicket of alder trees near the house. The feces found there later contained crawdad shells and berry seeds with a horrible odor. But the creature we saw was not a bear. The hard, dry ground showed no tracks. Our fathers were loggers, and we were well-versed in the local wildlife. While this all happened a very long time ago, I still get cold chills remembering those sounds. Years later, my fiancé and I were driving north on Oregon Highway 101 near Cape Perpetua, north of Florence, Oregon. The highway was narrow, two-lane, with the Pacific Ocean on the west and steep rock cliffs on the east. I was watching the moon over the ocean, turned sidewise, facing the ocean. A very large black creature rose from a cleft in the cliff and towered over the little car we were in. My fiancé yelled, What the hell was that? I only caught a glimpse of the thing through my peripheral vision, but it was huge and very fast. I suppose we surprised it as much as it surprised us. It terrified me. My fiancé searched for a place to turn around as he wanted to go back, and I refused to let him. We were armed with what suddenly seemed to be a very small weapon, considering the size of the creature. When we returned home, my fiancé told his father about the encounter. His father told us of the rancher at the foot of the capes, also on Highway 101, who had been riding to check on his cattle when he heard a cow bellowing in agony. His horse became nervous, but he forced it on and found a very large, hairy animal chewing on the live cow. He carried a thirty-six rifle and shot the creature. It stood up and ran off on two legs. 
He followed until he lost the trail of blood in the rocky terrain. This is the first time I have ever heard of someone shooting and wounding one of these creatures. It is also the first time I have heard of this creature eating the meat of any animal. Our encounter was in the late evening with clear skies and a full moon. My fiancé saw the creature in the headlights and had a great view of it. He knew it was not a bear and didn't think it was a human in a pursuit. Facial features did not have a snout, and the arms were too long for a bear's front legs. I was too terrified to grasp any features. I've never felt fear like that before or since. In late spring, I went for an overnight hike up Icehouse Canyon on Mount Baldy, east of Los Angeles, with my girlfriend. We set up camp a few miles in, and a snowstorm hit that night, and it just kept snowing for two days and nights. We weren't prepared at all for snow, so we decided to wait it out in a small two-person tent for two extra days and nights. It ended up dropping a little under four feet of snow, and the trail was just gone, so we packed it up and started wandering down the mountain. It was slow going and rough, because we didn't bring enough warm clothing and were soaked to the bone. About two miles down, we made it to the canyon floor and started following the creek, but then we noticed mountain lion tracks crossing the trail in the freshly fallen snow. We had about three miles to go, so kept moving. The whole way down, we kept seeing those mountain lion tracks crossing back and forth across the trail, but never saw the beast. We knew it was watching us. It was scary as hell. We made it back to the car and were met by a ranger. Our car had been the only one in the lot for the last couple of days, and they were growing concerned, who confirmed there was indeed a mountain lion in the area. Ah, the sweet bliss of stripping down and warming up in that car. I'll never forget that little overnight trip. The vast deserts of Arizona were my ancestral home, the place my Navajo ancestors had roamed for centuries. I had left it behind for the lure of the city, trading in the open skies for concrete towers, but a series of bizarre livestock mutilations had pulled me back. The small ranching community was plagued by fear, their livelihoods being savagely destroyed. I arrived as a detective armed with modern tools and methods, but I soon realized this mystery was rooted in something much older than I'd ever faced. Reluctantly, the locals whispered of a skinwalker, a terrifying figure from our legends that I'd dismissed as a child as nothing more than a cautionary tale. But the evidence was undeniable. The markings... The brutality of the attacks, the sense of an intelligent predator, it all pointed towards the ancient legend. The thought that one of my own people could have been twisted into this dark transformation was a bitter pill to swallow. Yet it was up to me to follow this twisted path, to delve into the forbidden knowledge that was kept from the uninitiated. Under the guidance of an old Navajo Navajo medicine man, I started to learn about the rituals and customs that were an integral part of our heritage. Each day brought new understanding, but also a creeping fear. The attacks were becoming more frequent, more brazen, and each time the skinwalker seemed to be getting closer to our community. The day it attacked a ranch at the edge of town, I knew we were running out of time. The brazenness of the attack, the fear in the eyes of the townsfolk, 
It was a call to action. I realized then that my journey wasn't just about solving a case. It was about reconnecting with my roots and protecting my people. With the medicine man's help, I completed my training, learning the chants and rituals needed to confront the skinwalker. We prepared a trap using a combination of ancient Navajo magic and modern investigative techniques. That night, under the vast desert sky, we waited. The air was electric with tension, the silence broken only by the eerie howl of the wind. When the skinwalker finally appeared, it was even more terrifying than I'd imagined. A shifting shadow, both man and beast, its presence a dark stain on the land. As the medicine man began to chant, I felt a surge of energy, a connection to my ancestors I'd never felt before. I joined him, my voice rising with his, the ancient words reverberating through the night. The skinwalker roared, a sound of fury and pain, but we didn't falter. We chanted louder, our voices becoming a single force of will. And then, with a final echoing cry, the skinwalker disappeared, leaving behind only a man. Our kinsman, his eyes reflecting the horror of what he had become. In the aftermath, I felt a sense of relief mixed with sorrow. We had saved our community, but at a great cost. I returned to the city, but a part of me remained behind, forever bound to the desert and its ancient legends. I was a detective, yes, but I was also a Navajo, a guardian of my people's lore, a protector against the darkness that sometimes lurked within us.